With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio.
Welcome, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Energy Awareness Radio. You know, we are all living a story. So what's yours? If it's scarcity, and many of us do live the story of scarcity, that's the story that tells us we don't have enough. We want more and more. That story perpetuates a vicious cycle of consumption that not only affects our well-being in a very negative way, but also causes irreparable damage to the earth. If you want to stop that vicious cycle, you need to change the story. So stay tuned and learn how you can change that scarcity story to a story of sustainable abundance. This is your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am the founder and CEO of the Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing the basic necessities of life to underprivileged children. I'm also a reconnective healing practitioner, certified vibrational sound therapist, and positive psychology and energy psychology practitioner at Quantum Wellness Center, my private practice, located in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Energy Awareness Radio is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products to choose from, so you can listen whenever and wherever you want. Just download the title you prefer free of charge and start listening when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. My guests are Gina LaRoche and Jennifer Cohen. Gina is co-founder of Seven Stones Leadership Group and a leading organizational consultant, executive coach, speaker, author, and artist. She is noted for executive programs that challenge leaders, teams, and entrepreneurs to accelerate results and develop mindfulness and presence for themselves and their organizations. She's a popular keynote speaker, a graduate of Spirit Rock's Community Dharma Leaders Program, and a board member of Insight Meditation Society. She holds a BSBA from Georgetown University and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Jennifer is co-founder of Seven Stones Leadership Group and an engaging speaker and author, well-known for coaching world-class leaders from institutions including Harvard Business School and Simmons. Quantum physics, ontology, neuroscience, somatics, and systems thinking inform her in innovative and embodied approaches to curriculum design and facilitation. She holds a master's degree in applied psychology from the Antioch, New England Graduate School and is certified as a master somatic coach by the Strozzi Institute. So welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you for taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. How are you being? Gee, thank you for having us. I am, uh, this is Gina, and I am being well tonight. Thank you. <laughs> and Thanks how about you, Jennifer? <laughs> This is Jen. I am being restful. That is how I am being. Oh, that's a how really neat thing to be. <laughs> I'm working. I'm being good. <laughs> it's that time of year, you know. I'm being. I'm not. I'm doing a lot, but I'm also being. And you know, that's part of the 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 information in the book, the seven laws of enough, which is all about cultivating a life of sustainable abundance. And this is something to me, that seemed to be more of a guidebook that one could follow. And really, uh, you can shift easily. It, when, once you know how, once you get how to do this, you can shift things relatively easily. It's the getting to that point and knowing how to do it that takes a little bit of effort. But your book clearly explains things and shows people with practices, you know, what it is that they need to do to get through 
the seven laws so that their life will shift and they won't be in such situations as, you know, constantly thinking, I'm not good enough, I don't have enough, I need to do more and more and more and more and more, which is what is, you know, perpetuated on TV and, and everything that you read. So that's what my take was about the book. But let's ask you, what would you say is the overall message of the seven laws of enough? So, T, uh, like you said, you know, we actually see the seven laws ridge, you know, from this scarcity story to a life of sustainable abundance using um, practices and experiments and um, uh, to, to, to develop us and guide us. And, and you said it is like a workbook. I, I, I say it's almost like a journal. You know, it's got that soft cover and it makes you want to carry it around and you can open it up to any page and, you know, you do not have to read it in order. Um, so I, I loved how you represented the book. And I would say in a nutshell, I mean, really simply the book says is that you do enough, you have enough, and maybe most importantly, you are enough. Um, so that's what I would say the book is in a nutshell. And I, yeah, I think that you know, I mean you wrote the book, so of course I'm going to agree with you because you wrote the book. But I think a lot of I think a lot of people they don't they don't no matter how much you look at their life and you can say to them look at what you have accomplished they just don't think they are enough, and you know they're looking for something that they already are and they just don't know how to see that or find it. And to me, the book allows them to actually get to that point where they do see and say, oh yes, okay, I am already enough. And it's not saying you can't accomplish things. That's not it at all. But I think that's what people tend to think of is that, well, now you're saying I don't have to do anything else. And, and that's not it at all. Do you find that that's something that people tell you before they read the book? Well, this is Jen T. Um, I think that is a risk of the conversation about enough, right? That we, we live in a society where striving and achieving and always going after something else is really the name of the game. And so people can really hear enough as a call to complacency or mediocrity or giving up. And that is not what we are talking about. We really, you know, you, you get the message, I think, really beautifully. We are really saying that if you strive from a place of lack, you will always need to strive. Because nothing you actually attain will fill that hole. But if you strive from enoughness or sustainable abundance or a mindset of acceptance and knowing who you are, then you can create anything that you want. And it's not striving to fill something that isn't already there. It's just creating, which really is our birthright and the essence of the human experience is to be part of the process of creation. And to uncover what you already have that you're not acknowledging. Because when you look at your life and focus on lack, you will continue to get lack. You will just lack Correct. in all ways. You will not find any fulfillment. But when you, that's why I think, I like the book so much because when I'm working with clients and patients and I'm talking to them and they're telling me, you know, that they aren't able to do specific things that they want to do, they haven't accomplished anything. And I sit there and I say, well, because of all the 
information you've given me, I can see that you've accomplished quite a bit. What more do you want to do and why can't you see what you, you know, let's look at why you can't see what you've done. What is it? And it always is, as you said, there's some other hole that they're trying to fill that can't be filled because they're not, they don't want to face it. Sometimes it's the scare. And as you put in your book, the scare in scarcity. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I would say is, that that scare in scarcity is driven by what we call um, the myths of scarcity and the myths of excess. And the myths of scarcity were actually first articulated in um, The Soul of Money, which is a terrific book by author Lynn Twist, who's a colleague and friend of ours. And she declared the myths of scarcity as there is not enough. So the first myth is there is not enough. The second is more is better. And the mm. third myth of scarcity is that's just the way it is. So we walk around like, okay, there's not enough, there's not enough. You know, that hole isn't filled, that hole isn't filled. And more would be better, more would be better. Um, and by the way, that's just the how life is. Like, like we accept that that's how life is. And as Jen talked about, we have a birthright to something else. The flip side of this same coin of scarcity, though, which is also part of our scarcity story, is this myth of excess, right? So the yes. first myth of excess is you can have it all, right? So, again, that puts us on that hamster wheel. We can have it all. We can have it all. We can have it all. The second myth is having it all will make you happy. And uh, we get a lot of clients who have it all and come into our office because they discover they're not happy, which leads us to the third myth of excess. Ready, see, if you do not have it all and or you are not happy, then guess what? It is <laughs> your fault. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so we as a society – uh, in, in our families, in our organizations, we live inside of these myths like they're true. And to us, that's that scare in scarcity. That's why the stories that we tell ourselves, and it starts very, very young because, you know, we come in to this world with it, it, no holds barred. We're just here and we're living and we're growing and then we're being taught by people who are giving us stories and that's what we tend to grow up and believe until we work on ourselves and realize that, okay, hey, that story was wrong. <laughs> I should not have been told that because that was just false. And we oftentimes hear people say, it is what it is. Okay, that might be true, <laughs> but it could also be false. So, you know, I think that when I go through your book and I, and I read the things, I, I kind of laughed sometimes because it was – so interesting to see. Yeah, okay, I can see people doing this. I can see the way that, you know, sometimes an author writes or co-authors write in a way that will show you, yes, that's a better way to put it so that now I'm better able to help my clients with verbiage that you used. And the, the, um, the excess was important to, to give the opposite side, I thought, because, you know, when you said you can have it all, that's a myth. Mm -hmm. And to me, you can have it all. You just have to know what all is. And it isn't what you think it is. You have to learn what the all is. And people, I think, don't, they think all is money and fame and fortune and, you know, whatever it is, it, whatever it is for them, it's material things. That's not the all. 
the all is, you know, do you have your health? Do you have a family? Do you have rest time? Do you, are you balanced? That's the all. And you can have that, but people don't drive themselves to that. Instead, they drive themselves to all the material things. Would you guys disagree with that or agree with that? How do you feel about that? Well, I think it's an interesting question, you know, what is all? And I think any time we get fixated on some idealized version of life, we're in trouble. Because Mm. life, even when we're in a balanced place, you know, balance is a delicate relationship between imbalance and balance. There's always imbalance Mm -hmm. if there's balance. You know, there's always... um, there's always the up and the down. There's always the the dark and the light. So right. it's important to have um, a sense of being able to be with life as life is presented to us and not have a fixated version of this is what all is because then we get back into the same trap and then I can have it all. And then I'm going to try to control the, whatever my definition of the all is. And then if I don't have that, I did something wrong. So it, it ends up almost back in the same reflexive pattern, even if your all is not the dominant culture's version of the all. Because sometimes we're going to have it all, and sometimes life's going to throw us a curveball, and it's all going to disappear. Mm-hmm. Or some part of the all is going to disappear from the way that we thought it was going. Even if we've carefully designed and created and manifested everything we thought we wanted, it's going to change again. Well, sure, because the only constant is change. But if you can get yourself back, I think the key is, to me, it's like meditation, okay? Everybody thinks meditation is you have to be in this place and, you know, you never can be out of it. You can't be thinking other thoughts because now you're not meditating. And even when you speak to the Dalai Lama, he will tell you meditation is not that. Meditation is being able to come back to that place because your mind is going to wander off and you are going to have mind chatter. Meditation is coming back. The realization, the awareness, the mindfulness that, uh uh-oh, I'm not doing it and bringing yourself back. That to me is what balances. When things occur and you realize, okay, I, I only have two choices. I can either drown in this and, and do the whole pity party thing and become the victim, or I can sit here and say, all right, what can I do? And try to you know, get myself out of whatever it is and make it better. And that's the balance part that I'm talking about. It's not necessarily um, doing the, you know, looking at the world through rose-colored glasses or doing the secret, because we all know the secret is that's just not real. You know, so it's, it's kind of, to me, it's more like a balance of being able to bring yourself back so that you're not going off the deep end or, you know, sitting there and just being completely out of sync with everything and not knowing what to do. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think, yeah. see, yeah, what I, what I would add for me to is, and then not make myself wrong when I am right. out of balance or out of sync. When I, if I find myself in a pity party or find myself, right, it's like, I can't, I can't then beat myself up. um, No, no, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. 
And you should have a pity party, but you have to limit it because there are people who have pity parties for years. And it's like, okay, that was a pity party about something really stupid that happened three years ago. You're still there, you know, whereas if you just limit yourself and say, all right, I'm going to have this. I just had a pity party the other day and I said, I'm limiting myself to, you know, like two days. And I thought that's a really long time, but I know I'll do it soon. I'll get out of it sooner. And I was out of it within like four or five hours because I knew I would be. But I thought, okay, I'll do the two day thing just in case I want to continue down this horrible road. And I knew I didn't, but. We're entitled to our feelings. We have to feel them. And we have to feel them and process them so that sometimes we can balance out, come back out, and be with the world again. So, you know, when I hear people say it is what it is, I think, oh, but there's always a choice. It doesn't have to be what it is. Mm-hmm. And not to idealize, just to say that, that that's, you know, that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's always, yeah. you know, I don't know. Do you want to go through the seven laws of enough and and talk a little bit about each one? Sure. Okay. Who would like to start? Okay. I'll start at 10. Gina, why don't I do a few and then I'll hand it over. Okay. Okay. Uh, Law number one, T, thank you for asking. Not everyone does. It's lovely to be able to say all seven laws. So uh, law number one, which you actually pointed to so beautifully in your introduction, is stories matter. And uh, we're living in layers and layers of story. Every culture on the planet since the birth of language has had a story, a story about where we come from, a story about where we're going, a story about us in relationship to the moon and the sun and the stars and all the other creatures. And now we have stories about belonging and who's in and who's out and we have stories about country and we have stories about money and capitalism and we have stories about family and we have stories about religion and we're just like you said we come in open but we come Mm -hmm. in and we're immediately marinating in layers and layers and layers of story and one of the major stories of our time is a story of scarcity and separation yeah and we cannot shift it you said it so beautifully to you at the beginning you know You only have choice over what you can see. And if you can start to see the stories of our time, you can start to ask yourself, is that the story I want to keep telling? Is that the story I want to keep living? And then you get to choose. So that is law number one. Law number two is I am enough. Full stop, period, end of sentence. And we like to say it's time to take the debate off the table. Because there are a lot of human beings, especially in the West, living in a debate. Am I enough? Am I not enough? And we like to say as soon as we're in the question about whether we are or we aren't, we're actually swimming back in a sea of scarcity. Because in a world of sustainable abundance, there is no question about your enoughness. It's not debatable. The very essence of who we are is entirely whole, complete, and sufficient. Law number three is I belong. And that's another full stop period end of sentence for us. There is no person. There is no God even. There is no group of people who get to say who belongs here. Everybody got here the exact same way. Everybody, every creature, every amoeba, every human, every color human, kind of human, size human, we all got here the exact same way. And 
in a world of sustainable abundance, our belonging is not up for grabs. It doesn't mean we don't feel alone. And it doesn't mean that in a culture of scarcity, we're not deciding all the time who belongs and who doesn't belong. But from our point of view, that is another travesty of our time and an untruth of our time. And our belonging is not up for grabs. Yep. Gina, do you want to do the rest? Sure, sure. Um, So key law number four is no one is exempt. And I I like to to remind myself, I say no one is exempt, not even me. Um, And it really is this reminder that we cannot insulate ourselves from the vicissitudes of life, the ups and downs. And there is freedom for us when we stop trying. And in this chapter, we really have folks take the opportunity to uh, dive into letting go practices and completion, this concept of completion. And um, you talked a little bit about it earlier. It's like when uh, something has us hooked for years and years and years, we would say it's incomplete. And it's no one's exempt from having those uh, messy situations, but there's a lot of practices for how to let go um, and, and, and find this place of, of emptiness of completion. I have to say that was one of my favorite chapters because mm. people have trouble letting go, you know, and no one is exempt. So when people say, oh, that doesn't happen to me, that's when they think, yeah, okay, it probably doesn't. They just don't realize it, <laughs> you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> because, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that chapter. Our, yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's one of our favorite chapters. This is why Jen and I don't get invited anyplace because whenever we <laughs> love talking about right death and exemption and the you know the ups and downs of life and you know and how isn't that you great? get invited and, a lot of places, Gina. <laughs> oh, they leave you out. Oh, poor Jen. Oh, yeah. She gets left out. <laughs> but I belong to the so it's okay. You belong. You belong. You That's belong. right. You belong. Um, we'll go back to that chapter. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, since no one is exempt, you know, thank God, uh, it brings us to law number five, is that resting is required. And mm-hmm. when, when we talk about rest, we are talking about resting in ourselves. Um, I love each each chapter starts with an opening inquiry and the opening inquiry for, for resting is required is when was the last time you felt deeply rested? Um, That's an excellent question. I loved that. That was a great question because I had to think about that and said, Oh God, I don't know. Just keep reading. I got to read this for my show. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And, and, and see, unfortunately I think most people, wouldn't know the answer to that question. No. And, no. and I, yeah, right. And no I, one is exempt. Right. And we want to be, <laughs> <laughs> be clear that we are not talking about the numb out in front of the TV with wine and popcorn in front of scandal. I'm right. not saying that's bad, but what we are saying is there is this other kind of rest, this rest, of the parasympathetic nervous system that allows us to provide real nourishment and restoration to our body and spirit. 
Um, and it doesn't even we, have to be for a long period of time either. It can be short-lived no. that you feel deeply rested I, because after I finished the chapter, I was like, well, wait a minute. Now I can list like six times because I realized when I read it, I thought, oh, God, I don't know. And I laughed. And then when I was done, I thought, oh, no, I can list times where, you know, at the end of yoga in Shavasana where I just didn't want mm-hmm. to come out of it. Just didn't want mm-hmm. to. That's deeply resting for me, you know. So, yeah, right. that was I just wanted to clarify that it doesn't have to be a week's vacation in Maui, you know, or or wherever. (laughs) Well, and for some people, a week's vacation in Maui isn't restful because they had to fly there. They have jet lag. Then they scheduled themselves to the hill and then they drank all night and partied all day. And there was, there actually wasn't any rest. Um, No, sometimes you need a vacation from your vacation. Yeah. Right. And, And for some of my clients, I will just have them pause and take three conscious breaths. And I am not saying that as you transition and you take that three breaths that you might, that you'll be deeply rested, but that even of, in and of itself is enough to stimulate the positive emotional attractors that nourish that parasympathetic nervous system that gets it online to do that rest and digest. We're always in the charge mode, charge, charge, charge. Yep. Um, yep. The, yeah. I will yeah, tell people the, sometimes, you know, to take, we'll do the Navy SEAL breathing. I mean, these guys do it to keep, you know, stress down so that they can function. So we'll do that. And I literally have put people on blood pressure machine and said, okay, your blood pressure is really high. So now let's do a couple of things. And five minutes later, taking, taking their blood pressure and it has gone down by like 30 points. No joke because of the way that they (laughs) breathe and that will help them. And I ask them to please incorporate this into your life. You never have to respond immediately. You can always take a breath. Yeah. That says you have to respond immediately. None. Take a yeah. breath. Wait a minute. Yeah. Well, if you think I say one thing about rest, sure. even though you're still sure. in the middle of the laws, which is sure. So T for us too, there's this when we actually start to rest and relax the whole system that we are, it is when we can remember and feel the other laws. It's when we can remember our enoughness. It's when we can Mm. feel our belonging. It's when, and Mm -hmm. Gina hasn't done laws six and seven, but it's when joy actually bubbles up and when we can experience love. When we are hurling through time and space, with the speed at which we are all living right now, we're mostly from this nervous system level in fear. And fear generally is a, it's a very short walk from fear to scarcity. And that, then the whole story and the whole mindset and that whole life gets activated again. So rest is really a deep gateway to the whole paradigm shift. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Which then brings us to law number six, which is joy is available. And this law is really a reminder. I think it's, I'll say, I'll speak for myself, a personal reminder um, to lighten up and not take things so seriously and have some humor and laughter and joy and ease and play. And um, there are scientific benefits to laughing. Um, oh yeah, and amusement, and um, some people have um, claimed that watching uh, funny movies and comedians have helped heal 
some pretty profound um, illnesses, you know, really through laughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very true. It, 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 I mean, it's helped personally on a level for me. It helped me. I mean, I had ovarian cancer, and I just gave it to my mm-hmm. doctor and said, well, you're the oncologist, so you're going to take care of it, right? And he said, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And I got up and left and scheduled my surgery with the nurse and went home. And at 9 o'clock at night, I got a phone call. And he said, where'd you go? I thought you went to the ladies' room. I said, that would be a really long time in the ladies' room. And he said, you know, this isn't funny. I said, it kind of is. I woke up this morning, and this wasn't on my script. I have things to do. And you said you're the oncologist, so I gave it to you. I'm done. He goes, we have to talk. I said, nope, I'll see you on the Monday before Thanksgiving. I'll have the surgery, and we'll be good to go. He's like, I have never mm. met anyone like you. And I said, oh, that's probably a good thing, but I just have to get on with my life. I have things I need to do. And I was laughing. And I made sure mm-hmm. that I did watch movies and keep things that were light. And I did stop working my practice because I wanted to work on me so that I wouldn't have to have chemo and radiation. And I did not. So I was very lucky. Mm. I know that. Mm-hmm. But I also know I did things I wanted to do prior to so that I wouldn't have to go through what I saw some of my patients going through. Um, so laughter to me is is it's huge. It's huge. It's huge with children. I work with them a lot. It's, it's huge with children. It's huge with adults. If you can ingrain in children that, you know, laugh every day and and typically they do, you know, it it just makes for a whole better life. So I liked that chapter. I liked all the chapters, but I kind of like that one too, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and what I'll say is also just to bring it into our work lives. You know, we take everything so seriously, you know, the deadlines or this or that. And, not to say, you know, you don't hold yourself accountable and don't fulfill on your promises, but there's a lightness and joy that you can bring to to your work. To our yeah, work. because people people tend to, you know, especially women, and I am going to say that, and I'll probably get a lot of emails, and you know, but it's true. Women will come in and they'll say, I just can't say no, and I'll say, why? Why can't you say no? And let's practice saying no. And they'll laugh at me, and, and now we're laughing. And I'll say, seriously, mm-hmm. the next time we're in a function together and somebody asks me something, watch what I do. And this one woman did, and she said, I can't believe that's what you do, and nobody knows what to say to you. And I said, because when somebody mm-hmm. says to me, you know, can you help us with this? And I'll say, oh, no, thank you for asking, and I will turn around and walk away. They don't know mm-hmm. what to do. Because otherwise they're going to mm-hmm. say, well, why can't you? What do you have going on? But most women will say, I'm sorry, I can't because. That's a death sentence mm-hmm. right there. You shouldn't have mm-hmm. said because. Nobody needs to know. Mm-hmm. It's nobody's business. There's no reason you have to give anybody. Just say no. Let's all do Nancy Reagan and just say no. And people will <laughs> be right. like, oh, my gosh, okay. And, and you can get away with it. And I'm like, what are you getting away with? Your answer is no. Men do it all the time, and nobody asks them anything. Just say no. Right. No, thank you. What I what I, one of the things I often say is no is a complete sentence. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, it's like, it's like the delete key. It's my favorite key on the keyboard. It's one of my favorite words in the English language. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, and often no. when we, when we, when we say, and when we say yes to things, we're actually saying no to something else. That's correct. So for those, right. So those of us who, who struggle with saying no, when we say yes, when we really mean no, we are saying no to ourselves. We're saying mm-hmm. no to our dreams. We're saying no maybe to our health. So To your um, family, I to think your time. To your, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because mm-hmm. one woman said, she mm-hmm. goes, what made you decide this? I said, you know what? I learned a long time ago that time is a precious commodity, and we all are given different amounts, and none of us knows when our time is up. 
and there's nobody you can go to and say, please, sir, may I have some more? You know, I didn't like what I got for mm-hmm. services or I didn't like what, I, you know, what happened with this time. It didn't go well. You don't get it back. You cannot return it. You cannot ask for more. So you best spend it wisely because you only get what you get. So make sure That's that you're right. using it well. And if no is it and people don't like you for it, oh, well. You know, not everybody's going <laughs> to like everybody. <laughs> right. And that's right. <laughs> oh, and she let me get to law number seven. Yep. Um, law number seven, I, I often say maybe this is the only law, and that is that love is the answer. Um, the um, inquiry question uh, for that law is how well did I love myself this week, this day, this month, you can decide. And I just, to me, I love, I love this law because it, to me, it brings a lot, uh, it, it requires courage to stand in love no matter what is happening. Um, and offering dignity to everyone, regardless of how you feel about them. And even yourself, because you know, I've said this to people a lot, and somebody said to me, it's because your last name is love. And I said, I married that part. It's not like I was brought up with it. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I always tell people, you know, you're made from love. We're all made from love. We all come from love. We come from the source of love. So therefore, we are love. Can't you just be the love? Just be love. Just when something mm-hmm. comes up, stop and take that breath and realize, you know what? We're all on a different journey. Everybody's got their issues. Everybody's got their baggage. I don't know what their challenges are. And find the compassion because that's what we need to do in order to bring more peace into this world. We need to be more compassionate and kind to people. There's so much bullying going on right now, and it's not a pretty place that we live. So we need to make the best of it. And if everybody takes care of their own little energy fields, we'll all be better off. But do it from the place of love. If you come from your heart, if you truly come from your heart, things will be good for you and for everybody else. It's like dominoes. That's how energy works. It's just dominoes out there, whether it's good energy or bad energy, that's how it works. And it's going to affect a lot of people, so including you. So you may as well make it right so that you can, at the end of the day, say, I mean, there are a number of times when I read that part in the book about how did I love myself today, I, I actually laughed at that because I thought, oh, my gosh, I wonder how many times in my life I've actually said to myself, you're not really loving yourself right now, are you, T? You know? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I thought that's, that's a great question to, for people to journal to, as I don't remember which one of you said, this is kind of like a journal where if you are journaling along with this, that's a great question to put you in the mindset of how to do a gratitude journal. How did I love myself today? What are you grateful mm-hmm. for? And that allows you to love yourself even more. That's what I took away from that. Mm. Yeah, back to what Jen said, you know, with the resting in ourselves, we can remember or we can or we could have the stamina and the courage to bring compassion, to mm-hmm. bring empathy. But oftentimes, even if we really want to, we're just too tired or overpromised or stressed to remember to bring that love into the situation. Yeah. Yeah. There was um he we had we had a, a dear client who actually retired and became a dear colleague and friend and uh in her office there was a quote on her whiteboard and it said be kind for everyone you meet has walked a hard road. And yes. I I love that 
sentiment. It, you know, if you can't relate to love, can you really, you know, I think everybody can relate to kindness as a, to notice that we're, we, we really are all in this together. Everyone has their suffering. Everyone has their um, challenges. Everyone has their greatness. And be kind for everyone you meet has walked a hard road. Yes, and Jennifer, you study quantum physics, and so therefore you know that we are connected. We are most definitely connected, and every single one of us. So what affects one affects the whole. And when you start to see a, a large uh, amount of something affecting different people, it's going to spread to the entire group, and the entire group is our planet. So we're affecting each other on a daily basis by the things that we say, by the thoughts that we have, by our actions that we take. And if you kind of can think of that and realize, what am I doing? And it's going to be better for you as well as everybody else. And that's hard to, for people to grasp sometimes because they think, well, I don't have time to think about everybody else. I just have to think in the moment. I've got, you know, three kids. I'm running them here and there. I have to do this, that, and the other thing. But that doesn't mean that it gives you an excuse to be rude to people or to you know, dismiss people or judge people or get in the way of what other people are doing, you still have to do the kindness thing. And kindness is, you know, there's only, for me, there's only two emotions, love and fear. Love is everything good. Fear is everything that's not that. No, and and those are the roads you travel on. And the moment you find yourself in the road, on the road of fear or negativity or judgment or getting, coming from your ego, you have to realize, okay, now I want to get in the commuter lane because when I'm in the commuter lane of love, everything goes better in my life. And you put in your blinker and you get over there and you can shift that very quickly with your thoughts and just saying, what am I grateful for in this moment right now? And it could be, I'm grateful that I have the ability to be aware and figure this out at this moment and say, oh, the awareness came through. Okay, good. And that sets a whole different tone within your body. And, you know, I think that people sometimes don't realize that it's so easy to shift into another space. And that is what your book teaches, to be able to shift pretty quickly. Because you've got practices at the end of, I think, every chapter, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, at the end of every chapter so that people can go through and, and. You know, maybe you pick one or two, and as you said, you don't have to read this from the beginning and go right through it the way that I did. It's not in any particular order, but it kind of is. They kind of flow right into one another. I don't know if you meant to do it that way or not, but to me, I could see the Yeah, we did. I think what Gina is saying is that, you know, we have had some people say, oh, my God, there are so many practices. How do I do them all, et cetera? They do flow into each other, and they are, Shalaw, is set up in uh, in the order they're in for a reason. So you're right okay. about that. And it is possible to jump around. It is possible to do one practice, read on, come back and do another practice, uh, not do all the practices. But it is true that the laws flow. And also that, you know, I like the fact that you have John Kabat-Zinn in here as well because um, his mindfulness course is, is fabulous. And, you know, paying attention in a particular way on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally, when you look at those practices, you can try them out. Like you said, you don't have to do all of them. Pick one. Maybe that's the one you want to do. But then after a while, I would think, and maybe I'm wrong here, that – you'd want to be challenged by one that maybe you don't want to do. (laughs) 
And maybe mm-hmm. you'd gain more from that because sometimes it becomes rote and therefore you're not really doing that practice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I would say I, I often say, you know, try, try something uh, that also uh, repulses you because maybe that push away, that resistance is, is some, is telling you something. And, um, you know, essentially we think of this is a really to help us um, cultivate new habits. And we have this process where we are really offering you to have awareness um, and then do an unwinding practice and for capacity building. And if you find yourself uh, not where you want to be and you've tried the practices you've tried, well, maybe to build that next, level of capacity for yourself. Maybe there's something new to try. And one of the things I often I offer is um, one of the practices is I like to make these really simple collages with, you know, anywhere from three to seven images. And a lot of people don't want to do that practice. And then often when I say, okay, you've tried these other practices, why don't you try this? They often come back and say, it might not be my daily practice, but I actually got an insight that I w- I hadn't seen before by doing this practice. Sure, it's growth. It's even in mm-hmm. yoga when you people say I don't like doing that posture. Well, that's probably the posture you need to do <laughs> because mm-hmm. that's the one that's going to get you over the edge and give you what you need. The, either the stretch or the you know whatever it is, you, you probably need to do that one. And oftentimes people will say, you know, you're right. I started doing that posture and I started doing it at home and guess what now I really like it so to me it is growth to try things that are more challenging I guess is the word I'm looking for more challenging that you know that you don't particularly want to do um, one of the other things that you mentioned in the book and I, want, I was hoping that you could touch on this was the fallacy of being self-made mm. Jen do you want to sure I'll start you yeah. often like to do this one but um the fallacy of being self-made. Well, it is, it is a fallacy and it's part of the American myth for sure. And the American dream the and it's really part of the conversation about the individual and me and the self and it's antithetical to belonging and interdependence. And we would say there really is no way to be self-made. Uh, we didn't, I didn't build the building. I saw the clients in today. I didn't pave the road I drove on. I didn't build the car that drove me. I didn't build the house I live in. I didn't make any of the clothing on my body. Somebody else prepared my lunch that I got on the fly so that I could see the clients. My husband's preparing the dinner so that I can be talking to you. That's and lucky it goes too. on and on <laughs> and on, right. Mm-hmm. But it goes on and on. Who made the corn tortillas that are part of our dinner? We right. didn't grow the rice. We didn't grow the beans. Uh, you know, on and on and on. How can we say we did it ourselves when everything that allows us to do it is part of what it means to do it? And there are maybe even millions of people connected to all of the things I just said. 
the car that got phone I'm talking to you on and the computer I used today. And, you know, if I just listed my one day today and then I said I built this business, well, of course, I didn't even build this business alone. I built it with Gina. But if we pretended for a second it was my business, I built this business. This is my – I mean, that's I, I, not true. It's just there's no way – if we're standing in clarity about our lives, that we are alone doing anything. Yeah, we're not. We're not. Even if you make, make the clothes that you are wearing, and I sew a lot, I didn't make the fabric, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. There's, right. There's you a felt, lot to right, that. You didn't, right. You didn't make the sewing machine. You didn't make the oil right. that oils the sewing machine. You didn't make the thread, the needle. The, yeah. The pattern. Some yep. people make patterns, but you know, yeah. Yep. I, Even I the most add... self-sufficient people on the planet who are literally tilling the soil, they yes. require each other. They require the sun. They require the soil. They require the trees to breathe. There is nothing about us that exists in isolation. No matter right. how self-sufficient and communities used to be much more self-sufficient and people used to be much more self-sufficient than they are. We're the least self-sufficient generation on the face of the earth for all of time. And becoming more so. Becoming more so. Yeah. I mean, there was just a thing on the radio this morning about can openers and millennials do not know how to use a can opener. It, It was actually funny to listen to because Jimmy Fallon took people out in the street and said, use this can opener. And they didn't know what to do. One person opened, one millennial opened up a can by smashing it because they did not know how to use a can opener. And he said, the moral of the story is when your kids move out, they'll be leaving you the can opener. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> and I thought, that is crazy. I mean, come on, you can figure it out. <laughs> this is nuts that they don't know how to use a can opener. <laughs> you know, so are we getting away from cans? There's a lot of things. What I, you know, one of the things I liked about your book, and I wonder if anybody else mentioned this, we talk about uh, cultivating a life of sustainable abundance. And at least in my area in New Jersey, we have uh, a lot of people dealing with hunger issues. And so we talk about, you know, helping them with food and everything. And I have a children's um, organization and we feed kids and and clothe them and and all kinds of stuff. But we talk about oftentimes it might be better to go back to local sustainability and where everything happens within – you know, a community, not to get away from everybody else, but with all the access to social media and the internet right now, people are conversing and, and talking to each other, if we can call it talking to each other by everything that they do. And, I, and, and let me make it clear. I do not text. I choose not to learn how. I do not have one of those magic phones. I have a flip phone. It doesn't text. I, my phone just rings like a regular phone. And very few people have the number because I do not choose to be that accessible to anyone. Nobody needs me that badly. So <laughs> I just, it's a lifestyle choice that I made Years ago, I said, I'm not doing it. I don't want to do it. And people yell at me for it and tell me you're going to capitulate, and I I shall not do that. But I think that local sustainability, along with cultivating sustainable abundance, to me, as I read your book, I thought, this is reminding me a lot about local sustainability. I don't know if anyone's mentioned that to you or not, because we are at a point in, in the world where we do have to start growing our own vegetables if we want to make sure that we're having things that are good for us, for our own well-being. There's a great concern over what is being sprayed on everything and how things taste. And you can tell by the way that they are grown when you buy something and you cut it open and you see, you know, this is not right. Or 
I bought tomatoes and six weeks later they were on my kitchen counter and I thought those tomatoes should be rotten. That means there's something wrong mm-hmm. with those tomatoes. Are they plastic? And I threw them out and I paid good money for those tomatoes. And that's when I decided putting up a greenhouse, going to be doing my own organic gardening. So I don't know if anybody put a correlation with that of, of sustaining ourselves as long, along with local sustainability. But to me, it kind of, I could feel in your book, it, it works. Maybe it's just for me because you, you guys aren't saying anything. I'm thinking, Maybe you think I'm crazy. <laughs> I don't know. Go ahead, Jen. And then I do have something to say, but I think you should go first and I should go second. One of the things that we like to say is our book isn't a formula. So we're not recommending, you know, there's some minimalist guys. Get rid of all your stuff. You know, we do talk about clutter and we talk about hoarding and we talk about the results of a consumer society, but we're not offering, you know, six easy steps to a perfect life. Grow your own vegetables, make your own clothes. It's not, we're having a message about a conversation that we live in that is led to a whole bunch of systems that are really destroying our well-being and uh, the future of life itself. And that we need a conversation, um, a story about life that is both sustaining and sustainable mm-hmm. and uh, takes into consideration the bounty, the beauty that's available to all beings. And we define sustainable as ethical, reciprocal, and just. And many people are offering solutions like local farming, sustainable communities, local economies. And we're all for that, but we're not making a specific claim about how to go about this. One of the things we think is that when you start to live inside the seven laws, that people get really creative and generative about what sustainable and abundant Mm -hmm. means to them. And then individuals and teams and organizations and communities can begin to create solutions from inside sustainable abundance. And many of them may look like, hey, I want to grow organic vegetables. I think our town, our community should have its own farm. And I think we should feed each other, by the way, and feed the kids in the local community. And things start to be generative because they are fundamentally about sustaining and being sustainable for ourselves and each other and sharing the bounty that we have. Yeah, and, and I just got it. I got the feeling in the book, so you know about that. And I just wondered if anybody else had mentioned it and thought, yeah, I get this feeling about this as well. And now you're saying you're pretty much are agreeing with everything that I said. <laughs> well, I agree with what you said, whichever way. <laughs> well, T, I, I'll just add specifically. You know, my when you asked the question, what what came up for me is. Um, you know, I always, I, I always suggest that people just start with meeting their neighbors. And yep. um, that connection, I, you know, there's so many people. I'll, I, actually, when I go over people's homes, one of the first questions I'll ask is, do you know your neighbor? 
and they'll say, well, I know the one neighbor around the corner, or I know the one, but they, but rarely does someone say, yes, I know all my neighbors, or I know most of my neighbors, or I know my entire block. And, and back to what Jen was saying is inside of that connection to your neighbors, um, something will arise, and it may be the gardening. But I live in an apartment in Harvard Square. There's no greenhouse organic gardening going to happen right, over here yeah. for me. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I do not know any of my neighbors. I just moved here as part of it, but I don't know any of my neighbors. And yeah. it's, I've just noticed the impact it has had on um, me as I've lived here since I moved here in, uh, in the summertime. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, we are nearing the top of the hour, and we're going to have to get off air. But before we go, would you please tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and your work and where they may purchase the seven laws of enough? Sure. So a uh, couple. So you can purchase the, our book really anywhere you can buy books. Your um, independent booksellers and Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And our website is sevenstonesleadership.com. So it's written out S-E-V-E-N. And on our website, you will find a link to the book that has an excerpt from the book and links to where you can buy it. But also we have a scarcity assessment. So if you really, if you want to look for yourself to see how much scarcity you're in, we have an assessment. We um, also have an online course called Embracing Sustainable Abundance. So if you want to see us um, and video and practices and meditations, uh, some, some of which are in the book, um, but it talks a lot about what is scarcity, the weapons of scarcity, um, how we start this journey towards sustainable abundance. So that's also um, information on the website. And finally, we're on uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, uh, so we're easy to find in, in the social media world. Well, I want to thank you both for taking time out of your days, especially this time of year, to uh, join me on air. I I love the show. I think it's great, and I love all the information that you have in your book. And I think that this would be a great gift, people. The holidays are here. You know, help others by getting this book and, and having them help themselves. But thank you both very much for joining me. I appreciate that. I appreciate your time. Thank you. It was our pleasure. Thank you. Okay, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we're meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org, or check out Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where every dollar of every donation directly supports children in need 100%. We're run solely by volunteers. There are no salaries, stipends, or compensation of any kind to anyone. You can learn about what's going on with our fundraising campaigns at sojihuggles.org. You can follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio and at Soji Huggles. 
I am your host, T-Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. Okay. What'd you think of the show? There we go. What'd you think of the show? Uh-oh. Great. Here? No. Yeah. yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we're here. I thought I lost. Yeah. Um, I liked it. I really enjoyed it. I like it when there's two people because you get, you know, you can kind of brainstorm a little bit. But I do like your book an awful lot, and I will recommend it to a lot of people. I, I already thought about that. Thank you so um, much I, for taking all this time okay. with us. Really appreciate well, it. I on my uh, my waiting room table, and people, you know, for the week they come in and want to know what's this week's book, and then some of them want to borrow it, and I tell them no, you have to go buy it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. But um, oh. I enjoyed the show. Really do appreciate your time. I know this is a busy time of year, and everybody's got a lot of things on their plate, and and you know, no one's exempt from that. So, <laughs> right, right. Oh, but I do. It was such a time. Pl- it, well, thank you. It was such a pleasure, and 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 really, uh, it, it, to to have a host actually read the book and take the time is is just really honoring so really appreciate it thank you i appreciate you saying that because people do say that to me every week they they know that i did read the book and they understand that what i'm going to do is go to amazon and goodreads and i'll do a review um of the book for you uh, so that you'll see that on both of those websites and then i'll email that to your publicist so that they'll have it and they can forward it to you Oh, thank oh you so God, much. Thank you. So generous. Uh, thank do. you. Well, you come on the air. First of all, I get the book for free in the mail. I get to read it. You can't tell me I'm not growing from everything I'm reading. And then you come on air and you talk about it. The least a person can do is, is write a review and, you know, and try to help out. So thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. Um, and I intend both of you a wonderful holiday season and a great 2019. May it be much better than 2018 for all of us. <laughs> Oh my yes, God! Yes, from your right. lips to yeah, God's ears. God yeah. ears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thanks, Pete. You're welcome. Thank you. Take care. All right. Okay. Right. Bye bye. Take care. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.